On this fifth Sunday after Pentecost, the Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 35, beginning verse 1. Joy of the redeemed. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Here ends the Old Testament. The epistle is recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here ends the epistle. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 5, beginning the first verse. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to, her, said, said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, 
for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Here ends the Holy Gospel. Okay, where are the little people? There's one. Mom could come along, or Dad, or Uncle Charlie back there. (laughs) Oh, I understand now. (laughs) Don't feel bad. You'd be it. Everybody else is on vacation. So anybody feel young? Oh, John does. Yeah, sure. Anybody else feel young? (laughs) You get to sit, yeah. Oh, Nick, there you go. My, you children have grown. The tea cart. Oh, here we go. All right. The gospel is about the notion of hope. We do not mean Michigan hope. We say things like, I hope it doesn't get too cold or it doesn't get too hot or up north that we don't get three feet of snow in one day. The biblical word is sure forward-looking faith that has no doubts whatsoever. It's about faith, forward-looking faith. I'm going to destroy something. Well, maybe. Hope is like a cup, and it should be intact enough that you can pour in God's blessings that Christ has gained for us. However, our human nature is not usually very hopeful. You can back up if you want to. That's right. It doesn't take much for our hope to be cracked. Pretty tough hope, huh? Yeah, you... Okay, that's not bad. What, do you think I can put water in there? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to. I do have real water, though, but that would make a mess. So how many times have you survived tough things? Just once? No. The older you get, the more that things happen. Uh Uh-oh. What do you think, Nick? Is it, can I drink out of that? Yeah, well, if I, hold, if I hold it this way, it's not totally hopeless yet, is it? Well, in fact, look, 
I could use glue to glue it back together. Do you think that would work? Not a good idea? Not for a coffee cup with hot liquids. The man in the gospel had been, English majors help me, is it laying or lying? Nancy, help me. Lying, okay. Had been lying there by this pool for 38 years. Nick, that's a long time. He had got to the point that Jesus has to ask him about his hope his forward-looking faith. You might say, what a dumb thing to ask the poor guy. Do you want to be healed? Well, of course somebody would say, of course I would. But there's a question about this fellow. Does he really have the will and expectation that he could be healed? The indication is he's basically lost everything. cheers. With this, there's nothing to contain the blessings of God. The only person that can help in this kind of situation, which by the way is not just this poor guy's situation, but it's the situation of every single one of us if left to our own powers and will. We by nature have no faith. We are hopeless creatures. We have nothing to look forward to, really, if left to ourselves. But Jesus is the one that's able to help in this hopeless situation. Should I do one more? I like breaking stuff anyway. Okay, now children, you may go back. (laughs) Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Dear saints of God in Christ Jesus, How many of you think that this gentleman had been praying about his condition for 38 years? I think he did. Who knows how long he's had it? By the way, to live to be about 40, 45 was for many people about as long as they expected to live. So this man's problem that he cannot move, that he'd been paralyzed, probably happened in childhood. And he was brought to this place looking forward for healing. He was praying. Have any of you ever prayed for something a long time? Maybe a whole year? A couple of years? decade, 25 years, a lifetime. My brother and I back home in Iowa prayed for our father that he would come to faith in Jesus. I never personally saw it, although we both prayed for it and did since childhood. My brother is the one that told him about Jesus only after dad became very ill and was very afraid of what was going to happen. So my brother Bob told him about the gospel and dad was baptized. But this praying went on at least a good 40 years. 
That's how long it took. I had almost gotten to the point of thinking, my dad's an old hard-headed German. What's he going to do? But my brother back home never gave up hope. He kept looking for the opportunity of sharing the gospel with dad. Whereas I, the pastor, had become almost numb to the whole concept. And I only thought the worst. That's not the position we're to be as Christians. We look at the world and we look at calculations of how possible something is, how probable it might be, and we listen to those numbers rather than trusting in God's ability to do things which are beyond us. Jesus purposely went up to Jerusalem for a feast or festival of the Jews. And the event here in our text takes place near the Sheep Gate. Okay. All of you took a shower this morning or a tubby, right? Because it's summer, and if you don't, you will stink, right? Don't you remember as a child being herded in to take your weekly bath on Saturday night or maybe early Sunday morning? Don't you remember that? Why? Because we are like sheep. And let me tell you, coming from Iowa, sheep stink. Sheep are stupid. They are dumb. They don't listen. They don't like to follow. That's us. The sheep gate is where they used to herd all the sheep into Jerusalem for slaughter for the temple. It was a place of death and destruction and stench. Civilized Jews never went in that gate. That was for stinky shepherds and stinky sheep. This is already putting us on a little clue about what's going on here. Near the sheep gate, and there's this place called Bethesda. It has five porches. Now, this is not a spa. This is not a cool place to hang out with mixed drinks and just to relax. It's a pool. Oh, no, it's none of that. The people that congregate at this particular pool at Bethesda, well, they're hopeless. Hopeless in so many ways. They're probably homeless as well. Commentators say that many of the people had been brought there and had been left there to beg for the rest of their lives until they died. It was a place of hopelessness. And they're all cripples. Good grief. Great numbers of the disabled, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and in the view of most good Jewish theologians, therefore, the damned. Because good things happen to good people, Bad things happen to bad people, and these people are obviously bad. They would have had trouble even getting alms, gifts from anyone. The only hope that they had was based on a myth. Now, if you look in your old King James Bible, you will notice that there are some verses missing. They are the verses in the King James which talk about that from time to time an angel would come and would cause the water to be turbulent, and that the first person that got into that turbulent water would be healed. 
That was the hope of this one man that Jesus speaks to, who had been there for 38 years. Now notice, he had faith, but the faith is in a false hope. I've said this a number of times in this 500th anniversary year, but Luther loved to say that Satan doesn't care how strongly you believe, that is, the strength of your hope, so long as it is wrong. The man has faith somehow that if he can get into that pool when it's trouble to be number one, he could come back healed. Do you want to get well? I don't know that he had much expectation of that anymore. But you notice with the lack of expectation and hope for the future also comes blame. This is what the world does. This is what we do by nature. This is what Adam did when Eve helped him into sin. The woman that you gave to me, she gave me to eat. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Nobody to help me. Where's my family? Where are my friends? I'm stuck here. They're not doing anything for me. I have no hope. And while I am trying to get in, if God's not going to help him, if his family and friends aren't going to help him, if the bystanders who give him some food aren't going to help him, he has only one person to trust in. That is himself. So he says, while I am trying to get in. His only hope and expectation lies with himself. But it isn't much of a hope. He's never been able to do it for 38 years. Somebody else always goes down ahead of me, he says. This is an historical person. He was well known to the people of his day. And he is a type or picture of us all according to our old sinful nature. All of us are in this hopeless, sinful condition. And we blame everybody else for the trouble we're in. But when hope is dashed and smashed like that old coffee cup, one would think there'd be no hope at all of any blessings. Again, that's us. Every single one of us, myself included. What's astounding is, in verse 8, Jesus' response to all of this. He doesn't say to the man, Oh, buck up, take heart, it'll happen someday. Give him a little false hope. He doesn't say, Well, you just got to try harder. Where's your family? He says none of those things. Neither does he accuse the man for whatever malady he has. Remember, sickness and maladies were connected up with a damnable condition. Instead, Jesus says, said directly to him, two things. Get up or stand up. Take up your mat and walk. Now, this might at first sound like legalism like he's telling the man to do it himself. No. This is more like, as it's found in a number of places in John's gospel, the power of Jesus' own words. 
as when Jesus would later say, Lazarus, come forth. He doesn't mean that Lazarus can come forth on his own accord or by his own ability, but it's the power of this Savior to command and blessings come. We each will go through that and experience it on the last day, on Resurrection Day, when Jesus will say to us, all by name, come forth. It's the power of the risen Lord Jesus who says this to the man. Get up then take up your mat, which he hadn't done in 38 years, and then something that he probably had forgotten how to do. And he needed no therapy. Take up your mat and walk. It does not mean tentatively. The term in Greek means to walk with strength and boldness and knowing exactly where you're placing your feet and you're not the least bit worried about falling. To peripateo. Not like a wobbly child. Not like a sick person. But with full strength and vigor. Get up, take up your mat and walk out there and let everybody see it. This is the grace of Jesus showing up. This is not a command for the man to do something himself. It is a command of the Lord Christ, he who had made all creation and was now recreating this man and bringing him life once again. Now the only trouble is the story gets long and the Jews are upset because Jesus couldn't wait till the next day to a regular work day. Jesus was doing this on a Sabbath and as far as they were concerned, healing somebody on a Sabbath was work, and therefore you were breaking the Sabbath law. How's that for a twisted way of looking at things? They ask the guy who did it. He doesn't know. But later on, it's Jesus who finds him, and he finds this man now in the temple area. He hasn't been there at least for 38 years. What's he doing? I don't know. I'd be giving thanks to God or going in and watching the sin sacrifice in the afternoon, which, of course, points to the Messiah. But he's in the temple. He's in the temple courts. Jesus says to him, Behold, you are well again. That means in full health. But did you notice then a warning? He says to him, Stop sinning, or something worse might happen to you. The term at this week in, in Greek means stop continuing to sin all the time with no repentance. The man had got used to being this way for 38 years. After all, it didn't make any difference whether he was pious or evil. He just kept doing all sorts of sin. Now, what exactly you can do when you're a paralyzed person, I'm not exactly sure. Some have said maybe he was making his condition look worse than it really was. Maybe he was a really smart panhandler. Who knows? But Jesus is saying, stop this continuous sinning without repentance. And if not, something worse could happen to you. 
Now, if this whole event is meant for our edification, that only Christ can raise us up out of hopelessness to give us health and healing again to serve him, and ultimately this raising up on the last day, then how does this apply to us? Martin Luther, when he ran across Romans chapter 6, noted something about even the Christian nature. We are joyful that we have forgiveness by God's grace, that Jesus won it all on the cross, but our old nature is still there. So Paul poses the question in Romans chapter 6. He says, shall we continue to be sinning? That is, again, without any repentance. Shall we keep on sinning that grace may overflow and abound? If Jesus can forgive you one day, then he can forgive you the next. And he forgives you last year, he can forgive you the next year. And if he's forgiven you for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, what difference is it going to make if you sin a little more? But the warning is, the Son of God did not come to give his life on the cross so that you can sin. He came to die on the cross to save us from sin. He's calling on this man to have a new life. And that's how Martin Luther understood repentance. Repentance comes from knowing God's gift of forgiveness and peace in Christ Jesus. And that's what moves us to a different way of looking at life. We want to live differently. We don't want to be like the past. Sure, there'll still be sin in our lives, but it's not something that we really want at all. We hate it. But we, as we've been raised, want to live a new life, lest something worse might happen to us. The worst is that you'd keep on receiving God's grace so that you can keep on sinning unrepentantly, and that will end up with something far worse than mere sin itself. Christ comes to us, He comes to us in this temple. He assures us that he will raise us up and commands us as such. Arise, take up your bed, and walk. As Peter says about baptism, that we may walk about in newness of life, in thanksgiving for what Christ has done for us. We walk about in newness of life. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.